I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the mariner's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, this is kind of a unstructured uh, discussion um, that we're going to go through to talk about the show in general up till now. Um, I guess a good place, I you know, if this is your first episode of the show, welcome. I hope you enjoy. We're going to be talking about a lot of the past episodes, so take some notes, or you may want to go back and listen to some of the other episodes first, and then come back and listen to this. Um, But before we get too much into that, I actually wanted to ask you, Scott. So, you know, we got a great response to the show. We got a lot of people on the Facebook page. One of the things that... We talked a little bit about way back in the first episode. It's just kind of the basic premise of the show, right? The concept of the philosophy of the show and the the behavioral and psychological aspects of sailing. Like what what is your goal in creating Offshore Explorer? Well, I don't think there's enough digital space for me to explain all of it. But <laughs> I think I think Really, what we're trying to do is I'm trying to make um, I'm trying to make the show be accessible in terms of the reasons why. Um, there's a sort of interesting. Everybody experiences certain emotional things when they're on boats and sailing. Everybody has reasons to go sailing, um, reasons for traveling, and and many of those are very different. Some some we all share and in a, in a kind of a general way, but I just want to open up uh, the whole concept of the Mariner and the way the Mariner sees the world as a, I don't know how, what's the best way to put it. I just wanted to open it up so people can see that the, this is, this is a really important um, philosophy. What I'm trying to do with, this show is to show everybody how a mariner sees the world. And this is important because there mariners in the world uh, all through time have been uh, very acute and acute observers of, of human behavior, have a knowledge of place, have been the the carriers of stories and music and art from one place to another place, and that still continues. And so the modern sailor, it's nice to be able to give both kind of a technical uh, dive into certain things like we did with the rudder. Um, It also is interesting about the sense of place, what to look for in a place, and to just... Uh, relate some of the stories and some of the things that I've learned over close to 40, actually more than that, 50 years of sailing. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, we have discussed you and I is just about 
the making the show accessible to everybody, whether it's your first day as a sailor or you've been sailing for 50 years or more or all your life. Um, and I think that's important because, you know, sailing is sometimes seen as kind of a gated community for an exclusive elite class, but it's really for for people of all ages. And, you know, we we really try hard or at least I try hard and I know Scott does as well to make the show accessible to everybody, you know, regardless of your level of experience. Yeah. Well, the experience is one thing. I mean, I, I go through this, I, I've explained this a million times to people. It's, it's sailing is a, is a separate body of knowledge. Okay. It's, it's a way of learning that's different than anything else. And here's what I mean by that is if you're a doctor or a lawyer or something, there's a body of knowledge that you have to know in order to be a good doctor, right? And it's usually quite big. If you can imagine me right now holding my hands apart by like three feet, okay? That's how much you have to know to be a doctor or a lawyer. To be a sailor, imagine my hands are about six inches apart, okay? That's the sort of technical stuff that you need to know, all right? But in order to be a really good sailor, and I've got my arms stretched way out as far as they'll go, that's how much experience you need to be a really good sailor. Whereas a doctor or a lawyer, I'm just separating my hands just a tiny bit more to have them be good doctors and good lawyers because experience is important, but it's not as important. It's more about access to facts, et cetera, et cetera. The experience is more prevalent in becoming a good sailor than knowledge of many things. So that makes it, accessible and inaccessible at the same time because you can't be a good sailor. You could read all the books in the world, but you never know what you're going to do in the middle of a hurricane until you've experienced it. And so yeah. these are the kinds of things. And and I think the other thing too is, is that the community of people that sail, the community of people that live on their own that live on boats is a unique and interesting and wonderfully dynamic and maybe the friendliest community ever, in my opinion. Now, anybody, I could, I could probably tell you by taking a sample of boats on any dock, any place in the world, and I can tell you exactly who the people are on, on that dock, okay? And they're different kinds of people. You have your racers, that show up, they got the racing boat, they're all racers. They show up on Wednesdays, they're all kitted out, right? They can't go sailing without their gloves, right? At the end of the dock, you get a couple liveaboards who are sitting in their cockpit at sundown drinking sundowners, okay? And you have your lone wolf over on the side, which I was for many, many years by myself on my sailboat. People coming, people going, just enjoying life. And then you have the family that come down, you know, on the weekends or maybe just on the summer, all right? And then you have all the boats that you've never seen the owner. They just sit there for years and years and years. People come by and wash them. They maintain them, but you never see them come out. So that is like, that's like the people on a dock, if you know what I mean. That's, that's, that's a picture of all of it. And it, of course, it changes and varies from place to place. But the community itself, I love because... Everybody gets to know each other, and it seems to me to be less judgmental in a, in, a, in a big way. So 
it's yeah. a comfortable yeah. it's a comfortable with, existence yeah with with the exception of maybe a couple of salty sea dogs you know <laughs> well the salty sea the yeah the salty sea dogs generally are there's always experts especially in america america has lots of experts and we mm -hmm. found this in some of the, in some of the comments we have a lot of experts and for the most part, those experts probably haven't had their boat outside the marina. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I guess continuing, and you talked about the the sense of place, which I think is very important to the show. Um, you know, we have we have covered a lot of different locations, like Antibes and Simi. We talked about Palermo and Tabarca. You know, and and as we travel the world, we you know we see things through a new lens. Um, so I guess my question for you is, you know, what have you learned by traveling to all these dis distant locations? What I've learned is is what I don't want. Uh, <laughs> um, now, the one thing I I know I don't want is to be a tourist. I, I like to have the inside knowledge. I like to know what is in the in the town, what the town is about, what the people are about. Um, I, I, I like to be let in, so to speak. Um, different if you're a tourist, you fly there, you, you get off a boat or a ferry like in Simi, you're there for a few hours. You know, you get the top part of what the town is about, then you're gone. But spend a month, spend two months, come back and forth over the years, um, and then you get to know people, you get to know... You know, just like you would know people in your own neighborhood, you know, the couple down the street just had a baby or the other, you know, that family over there has got a new dog. You know, you, you learn all that stuff and it makes you feel like you're a part of the community. And in a lot of islands, sailors are a part of the community, even though they recycle and they go through the the place and they're there for a while then they leave and they're there for a while they're very much part of the color of the island and i that's what i like yeah and i you know i i can kind of identify with that while i'm while i haven't you know sailed around the world you know i've done a lot of traveling internationally i've you know i did sales and distribution for a long time and have traveled a lot and you know, one of the and as you said, one of the things I love to do when I go to a new city is just to walk around, to just explore, to just find like a little, you know, a little plaza or a little garden or a little park that you didn't know was there and that you wouldn't even know unless you were just wandering around or a great little restaurant tucked around the corner where only the locals go because that usually has the best food because it's made by you know, it's a mom and pop store and grandma's been cooking in the kitchen for the last 60 years. You know? Yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, like and, I, and you can't get that experience as a tourist. No, I know this great place where the, the yogurt is made by um, the guy, the restaurant owner's uh, mother makes the yogurt from her own goats up in the mountains. And it's like the best yogurt you've ever, it's nothing like you would think yogurt is, but it was just phenomenal tasting. And it's like, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> And, and grandma's like 80 years old or something. But the goats are not yeah. 80. The goats are young. She has lots of young goats. So they produce. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so also, you know, we, we talk a lot about history on the show, right? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about um, 
how important that experience is. You know, we, we've had shows about the development of the rudder and LALA Harbor and the development of the Bermuda Sloop. You know, why do you think it's so important for us to share this history? Well, it's about knowing one's place and where you are in the world. And this goes back to being related to what what a place is, what it's about, is that perception. If you understand the history of some place, or you understand your history, or you understand the history of this thing in front of you, such as a Bermuda rig, okay, then you're going to be able to have a better understanding of how it functions, um, what your relationship of to it is, and it's it's kind of to me it's it's not only you know kind of a professional hobby you might say in in studying history and and finding all about but but I see there's a direct link between the past and the present and I see I mean the emotional links that I have like I mean just as an example and we haven't done a show on it but and but we probably will we will I mean just just take the Phoenicians right just think that you know they used to trade like I read this great thing about how they used to trade on the coast of France with the Gauls and they used to they used to row their boats fairly cl- up close um, to the beach and they put all their goods that they wanted to trade on trade and they'd put those on the beach and then they'd get in their boat and they'd go back and they'd be off the shore in the boat in the water and then the Gauls would come out from behind the weeds and they would look it over and then they would make a trade they would put things down and they take things this that and other thing and then they would row the boat back onto the beach and they would look at it again well I happened to be laying on a beach in France after I had heard this story and I thought to myself, how completely bizarre it was. And here I am, you know, on the beach, and these guys are trading for their lives, and they're so afraid of the other people that they're trading with that they couldn't face them, and they had to be offshore in order for the trade to take place. And I just think that's something that's kind of remarkable about human behavior. And so that's, to me, that's a fascinating little tidbit of life, right? Yeah. And I know we we have a lot of uh, history buffs that listen to the show who maybe aren't necessarily sailors themselves, but are really interested in the history of it. And, and, you know, the, the history of sailing is the history of the world. It's the history of trade. It's you know, how we explored the world, how we developed new inventions and technology was spread throughout the world. So I, I think we don't necessarily appreciate the effect that it, that it has had on our modern world. Well, you yeah, know? exactly, because sailing is, is, is 5,000 years of sailing right and and as the prime mover and today it still is it's uh, ships container ships still move more bulk and goods and weight tonnage however you want to say it more than any other object in the world all right and sailboats moved people across the oceans sailboats have moved goods they've they've conducted wars they've done all sorts of things but the advent of the airplane 
sort of changed the perception of how important sailing is. Then, of course, communications. You know, now we have the internet. So we, we know what's going on in Beirut today, for example. All right. We know up to the minute what's going on in Washington. We know this, we know that. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, we didn't find out what happened in Beirut, maybe never, if we weren't in a hub. Or we would find out if we were living on the frontier what was going on in, in, in Washington only because some rider came by and gave you the, lo- the latest news. Yeah, this is, but sailing is, and ships and transportation and, and um, merchant marines, uh, key, key to the development and the unity of, of the earth, of the people on the earth. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, well, changing topics, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, looking back on the last, you know, 20 odd episodes, you know, we've had some great guests on the show. You know, we have had, you know, Rita Garcia from Portugal, Steve Lapkin talking about photographing classic boats, uh, Tim B at Sea, who was a great guest. Uh, and of course, Tommy Twang, who you hear his music in, in all of our episodes, um, and people, people seem to really love Tommy, uh, going forward. I mean, who do you, who would you like to interview on the show? Like what, what kinds of people would you like to, to have, or, you know, who are we planning to have on? Who should people look forward to? I would like to have, um, I would like to have some, some poets, um, some writers, uh, talking about, uh, you know, literature at sea, um, C literature, S-E-A literature, um, is a very big part of uh, the American um, literature scene. And um, there's a few people, uh, a good friend, David Rigsby, who is a wonderful poet and, and very, very knowledgeable about all things poetry. Um, I'd like to interview David. I already asked him. He said he would. Um, we'll see what we can do as far as an arrangement of that. So that's one person I like to do. I like to also um, interview um, some boat brokers um, to talk about more of the technical part of buying a boat. I think that might be helpful for some of our listeners to understand how one can buy finance and otherwise take care of their boat. And um, I'm also looking to to talk to a couple of... Um, uh, historians. Um, I have a couple of people in mind. One guy in particular that's in San Francisco that is an expert on uh, clipper ships. And I think that would be kind of an interesting, interesting go. Yeah, we've also talked about bringing on, you know, artists, painters, sculptors. We've talked about uh, potentially bringing on uh, maybe even some chefs to talk about the relationship between food and, and sailing, um, you know, because that's that's a big part when you are doing a charter and you have a chef on board. Uh, that's that's a very important part of the experience, right? Like having oh, yeah. all that wonderful food on board. Yeah, I used to I used to always have to get when I was chartering. I used to always have to find a uh, chef, and I would go to the agencies and. They say, do you want a chef or do you want a cook? And I would say, um, if she's uh, American or English, 
Um, she has to be a chef, but if she's French or Italian, a cook will do. Um, and I had over 18 years of chartering, I had more French chefs um, than any than any others. And they were not what you would call a chef. They were just basically French cooks. But the food that they made was so extraordinary. Um, I did, if she's listening and I don't know if she is, Laura, um, was my American cook and she was fantastic. And, and then my other famous, famous cook was Steffi and she was, um, she was a chef. She was French and she's, she's a marvelous, marvelous chef. And, um, I was always very lucky to pick, um, really good people. Although I did pick some people that were pretty bad, but that will be a story for another day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, actually it's just interesting well, speaking of food, I saw somebody online asked us about food and what kind of food you should take on board and how much food you need when you're going on a trip. Let's say let's say you're going on a five day sailing trip. What would you bring on board with you? Well, yeah, that's the, yeah, that how how and where you're going is kind of a big deal. Um, a couple of quick rules of thumb. If before you go on a trip, don't rely on picking food up on your way. Um, I, I, you can do that, but you're much better off planning your meals out and going from there. Now, when you charter, of course, you're making five-star meals. You know, they're making like, you know, gourmet stuff and you're making three meals a day. If you're just going to go banging around, okay, always have some good stuff for breakfast Always have some good stuff in case you catch a fish. All the right spices always help. Um, plenty of things like eggs and bread. Um, lots of alcohol. Very important to make the trip work. A um, couple other little things, like if I'm in the Caribbean, I always want to have um, a box of Bisquick with me. I love taking conch, because you can buy that almost in any island, in any local little local store that you go to and you chop up, you grind up the conch and you mix it um, with the uh, bisquick and add hot sauce, like a jar of hot sauce to it, mix it all up and then bake it. And you have yourself some, some conch fritters and they'll be to die for. They're really good, but it's easy stuff. Don't be complicated. Make it easy. Um, freeze whatever you're going to take for main meals freeze in advance um steaks always good if you have a grill on board i love grilling outside in the boat i used to have this i when i bought my boat well when i first bought my boat i had um a cheapo grill on it and um it just it didn't work very well and it finally rusted out on the bottom and i went to this little stainless steel shop um, in um, uh, where was it? it was in Antigua, and I went to the guys and I said, you know, do you think you guys could make a, a grill? And the guy just so happened to have been experimenting um, with getting into the making of the grill business, and he made me a grill that could stay lit in like a force ten wind. <laughs> it's like it wow. was gas. 
and you could control it. And it was just, it was the shit. And it was, and it was like one eighth thick stainless steel. He got a little too heavy on the stainless steel, but this thing was so solid. I actually, I actually dropped a propane tank on it and didn't even dent it. It just scratched it slightly. <laughs> and um, wow. yeah, I know. But I, I, I had, I cooked on that thing. Um, one of my favorites is uh, um, duck breast. I, I cook duck breasts on them. You know, steaks, grilled corn. I used to go down and dive for uh, lobsters. I had a, there was a couple of holes I knew that uh, I'd just swim to, reach in, grab myself a couple of lobsters, come up. I'd throw them up on the deck and the, and the guests would all go, you know, be screaming, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Then I'd just pick up the lobster, open up the grill, which was already hot, toss them in there, close the grill. And of course you'd hear the little scratchy scratch on the outside, but that kind of disappeared pretty fast. And um, yeah. I made the kids all cover their ears um so they wouldn't be freaked out and 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 then i just then we'd have like you know fresh grilled lobster for um for lunch it was like the thing yeah well that's that's the great thing about when you're sailing you can basically just you know the grocery store is is right outside the boat yeah. <laughs> you know exactly. there is a funny story though i should t- i should say about that um a very, very good friend of mine, um, Greta. She's a German. She used to be a fashion model. Um, and and Steve, who was Hungarian, um, they were a very funny couple, very lovely, super, super lovely people. And they had lived on a boat for so long. And they had lived on a boat in the Caribbean for so long. So when they cleaned the dishes and to get rid of the leftover food, she would stick her arm out the porthole window with the plate and tap the plate on the side of the boat and the food would fall off into the water and of course the fish would all come up and eat it and she'd get on to doing her business well they sold their boat because they were getting a little bit older and they they went they had an apartment um in florida and they were like on the 15th floor of this apartment and there was a window next to the sink and unconsciously, she was putting her arm out the window and tapping the food 15 stories up in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping food on the head of the pastor's back. Which is, and the whole side of the building had like tomato sauce and stuff like that from the barbecue. <laughs> and, the, and the super got real upset. And she was like completely, I mean, she was 80 years old at that point. So, you know, it's like, oh, forgot I wasn't on the boat. All right. So. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a great story. Um, speaking of stories, are there any other stories that, you know, for whatever reason, have not been able to get into the show? Like, you know, either they're not long enough or not, you know, don't fit on the topic. Is Any any great stories that uh, that you wanted to put in the show? Well, but yeah, there's I could there's there's a whole thing about sex on the boat that I wanted to get to. And I actually think I'll make that into, I'll, I'm going to tease sex on the boat. Uh, but there's, there's a lot going on there. When you charter, there's not anything that you haven't seen. I will put it, I will put it that way. Okay. 
I had just as an example, um, we had this couple, two couples show up and, um, hello, how are you? This is your cabin over here. This is your cabin over there. And the two couples go to their separate captain cabins. Then about Wednesday, um, I think it was Laura and I were, were cooking breakfast. We were preparing breakfast and the women came out of opposite staterooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we kind of, yeah, we're kind of like, huh? Like, you know, but we got to be cool. It's their charter. It's their, their dough. Right. So we're cool. We don't care. Uh, right. But they were, they were like, they had to explain the whole thing. And as it turns out, these, these couple, they're very conservative. One lives in Iowa. The other lives in Montana. The couples do. Um, and, and what they do is they swap wives once a year in doing this. Wow. And that's how they do it. They, they, they try different things, but they like the boat chartering thing the best. That's just one of, there's like, like, like there's a million, there's a million (laughs) different insane stories. Okay. I mean, um, I, I just, I'm just, I'll wait to say those stories and just sort of add them up. The, uh, the yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we could just do an episode on insane stories. Yeah, there is insane <laughs> stories, and 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 there's another thing that it just sort of I have these tidbits of things that um, you find over time. Like I mentioned somewhere in one of the shows that like Fanta Orange, Greek Fanta Orange is like the best Fanta Orange ever. It's like almost like Argentina, right? So that's like this little thing, um, fishing. You know, using squids to drag along as you're sailing um, is something I've always done. I've caught more fish using these little multicolored squids um, than you than you could imagine. Um, I even even coming out of Bermuda, I I snagged. Wouldn't say I caught, but I snagged a, a swordfish that had to have been at least twelve feet long. And he just burnt the reel up, took all the line out and broke it like within about 30 seconds. But it was so powerful that when he pulled against it, it literally stalled the boat with all the sails up. (laughs) Wow. So that's how fragile that can be. And uh, I don't know, whatever. Cockroaches, I have a lot of stories about cockroaches and I have a couple of stories about rats. Um, rats are a big problem, but, uh, and I had a personal problem with a rat. Um, it was personal. Um, (laughs) it was a very personal thing. So what I did was I was, I put the boat up on the hard in Turkey, in Marmaris, um, Turkey, um, for the winter. Um, in fact, I, I went to, um, I was writing a couple of films uh, for a French film producer that was taking French films and and um, converting them into American films. So he needed somebody to sort of take the French script to make it into a um, into a more of an Americanized script. And because I had worked for Louis Malle, the very famous French director, I you know, I have a kind of in there to get jobs and stuff like that. So I was going to spend the winter 
in Paris, which isn't a bad thing, let me tell you. And it was nice. I mean, I crossed the Atlantic by then, I think, 10, 12 times at that point, round trip every year. So taking one year off to stay in Europe uh, for the winter is, is a good thing. And um, so when I came back to the boat in, in Morris, I mean, I had the boat buttoned up. I came back, I found that the inside of my boat was completely torn apart uh, by a rat. I mean, just everything. The, the, the settee cushions and was chewed on. And, and there was a box of um, cereal that I had forgotten in the top shelf around a corner that I didn't even see was there. And that was all everywhere. That was that was out, and, and the box was all the the box was torn up, and everything else like that. So I went on this big thing to find the rat because I heard him on the boat when I was there. I'm still on hard, right? So I put out the little green rat pellet things, right? And he, he took the rat pellets, all right, and and put them behind the books on the bookshelf, like lined them up, but didn't eat them. So this was a very smart rat. Okay. And I thought maybe it was a mouse. It wasn't, it was a rat. Now, what you have to understand too, is I'm on the hard. So, you know, it takes a ladder to get into the boat, right? You got to climb, (laughs) you have to climb up. Yeah. So, so what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you get rid of a rat on a boat? Well, so anyway, I, I, I lured him into a cage right? Mm. And I caught him. And he was, I caught the rat and he had like one green eye and one brown eye. And I said, "Uh, you're a pretty smart guy. So I was going to get rid of him. So I got in my dinghy and I was going to put him out on the breakwater. I figured, okay, I'm not going to kill you. I'll just put you out on the breakwater and be, I'm going to be a nice guy, right? So I, I let him free on the breakwater and he scampered off and got under the rocks and disappeared. And, and I went back to the boat, got the boat in the water, did a whole summer season, came back to Marmaris, put the boat up on the heart again because I wanted to spend another uh, year, uh, another winter in Paris. And when I came back the next spring to get the boat off the hard to get started, okay, the whole thing was happened again. The boat was completely torn to pieces. Wow. All right. And I thought, no, this can't, this, no, this can't, no. You know, <laughs> it was like, I was pissed, to say the least, because he'd actually chewed on some wiring and stuff like that. So I put the cage out again. And luckily, he wasn't as smart as before because he probably could have learned. He went in the cage and it took like a week to get him in the cage. So it wasn't like it, it was a, an easy thing. So, and I caught him. He had the same brown and green eyes, same rat. And he'd walked literally probably a mile and a half from the breakwater around to where the boat was and found my boat and climbed up a ladder to get to my boat. I don't know how he did it, to be honest. But in any case, I took him out um, when we... I we were just putting the boat in the water by the time I finally caught him. So, um, we went sailing and I dropped him and the cage overboard about half a mile off of the coast of Turkey. I don't think I'll see him again. 
<laughs> yeah. Talking of uh, interesting stories and insane stories, that was actually how we came up with the episode of Mutiny, which was one of our most popular episodes, was based on a story you told me. And I basically said, wait, why don't you save that story <laughs> for the podcast? And and the funny thing is, is that we were going to do the rudder that week. But I said, you know what? Let's do the mutiny one instead because I think it's a really fascinating story, and the episode was so popular. And then we did the rudder the next week, and the rudder was even more popular than the I mutiny know. episode. I know it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, any of the other episodes uh, that are your favorite or that you really liked, or is it, was there anything that really kind of surprised you about the show? Yeah, I in terms of a response. Yeah, I am I am I I I'm surprised by the fact that for the most part the stories um are kind of generally the most popular thing. Now, even the technical stuff like I did, you know, the beginning of time, the end of time about navigation and the rudder is pretty technical, but it's also more story than anything else. Um but I'm, yeah, I'm surprised at the reception of the stories itself. And uh, which gives me a little bit more leeway to, because there are certain stories like the last one I told, um, Sailor in Love, which is um, a fictional short story based on a few um, facts that, um, you know, deserved attention in, in fiction. And, um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's a surprising thing for me as a writer. It's always surprising when somebody, you know, reads your work or listens to your work. So it's it's very humbling and I'm very very grateful and appreciative. Yeah, and and I think you told me that it was loosely based on somebody you knew, but also sort of an amalgamation of a couple of people that you knew as well. Yeah, and and you know to to kind of add to that story because that was last week and just just sort of sum it up is is yeah, I met RB um in St. Thomas in Charlemagne and um he his boat was anchored in front of my boat somewhat away and it got windy in the afternoon and he wasn't on his boat and it dragged anchor and it came, and I didn't know it, of course, and, and it, it hit the front of my, my, uh, my boat. And it broke, um, it broke my uh, port uh, nav light. And um, so, but I kind of, I jumped in the dinghy, and I got his boat uh, back into a better position, and you know, it was a big deal, because I, his boat was locked up, and I couldn't do, I had to essentially drag the anchor myself and pick it up out of the water. It was, it was a lot of stuff to get that boat over to a more safe um, anchor position. And um, when, he, when he came back, he had been out with some friends, and he came back, he realized his boat was in a different position. And um, uh, he, came, he, he asked me about it. I said, it's okay, I anchored your boat. I hope you don't mind this, that, and the thing. And he realized he came over and saw the light that was broken. And he said, oh, did my boat break this light? And I said, well, yeah, don't worry about it. It's okay. Well, he came back the next morning with a West Marine catalog. And 
in the pages he had he had put uh, forty dollars to mark uh, the page where the light could be bought, and he handed me the catalog and the forty dollars like that, and I thought that was just purely a classical move. That was so classic. So then I invited him on board, and I got more of his story. I got more of his story. He told me about the cats, and um, that kind of that's kind of just the cats is the only thing. And but he did sail north to south and south to north. Wow, maybe maybe if he had a cat on board, it would have helped get rid of the rat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been by itself, and nobody was nobody would have fed it because we weren't there. We yeah. were, I was in um, I was in Paris, so yeah, yeah. Um, you know, last couple of things, I guess. Uh, you know, one of the things that you know for for myself that I thought was really interesting about the show is. You know, we we have all these great boat pictures that we post up on on Facebook, and if you're not on the Facebook page, you should definitely go check it out. Um, we post it on you know Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram, uh, and we've gotten so much great offshore explorer. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just look up offshore explorer on Facebook, and I'll I'll put the link in the in the show notes. Um, but where do you find all these great pictures, all these great boat photos? Well, I mean, it's there's this great, it's out, they're all out there. I think a lot of times, you know, what it is, is it's like a personal fantasy thing of mine. I like to keep up on boats, so I will go to... Um, I will go to a lot of sites that uh, of the manufacturers, the boatyards. Like I recently posted the picture of the HR fifty four, the Halle Rossi uh, Rassi boat, um, which is a Swedish made um, sailboat, very solid, um, kind of in a classic way, uninspired by design. But that's because the design is classic and is just it's just a good solid. This is the boat. And it's it's the boat that RB had. That's the he had a fifty-four. That's what he sailed around in. So I, I see things like that. Um sometimes there's certain designers that um uh, like Dykstra um for the Adela and uh, many of these bigger boats, um like Adela, Alejandra, uh some of the J boats, um uh, I've sailed on those. So I'm familiar with them, and um, sometimes, in fact, one of the Adela pictures has me um, on the helm. So I have a little bit of an interest in those pictures. So, yeah, it's just, and I just love, I just love, they're like objects of art. Just what like, Steve Lapkin did, he was, you know, when he takes pictures of the, the old wooden Rivas and, and uh, boats like that, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know the Adela is actually one of the most popular pictures that we put up because every time we put it up, we get tons of of likes and comments because it's such a distinctive, uh, beautiful boat. And it's fast. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's fast. Um. Uh oh. One other thing I wanted to actually just just quickly talk about since it's kind of in the news. You know, I know a lot of people on the East Coast are dealing with hurricanes and tropical storms. Um, do you, I, I know the best advice is not to be out in a tropical <laughs> storm, 
But <laughs> if you if you find yourself in a tropical storm or if you're no one is coming and you have to, you know, uh, uh, batten down and all that, what is your advice for for that kind of a situation? Mm. Well, it's sort of it depends on where you are um, and, and how how what the position of the storm is in relationship to you. You know, you have to understand the hurricanes are all this, you know, super um, tight, you know, solid wind. It's going to last, you know, it's going to last 18 to 24 hours. Okay. And then it'll be bright and sunny and beautiful and like nothing ever happened, but there'll be destruction all the way around. Um, so I have two, th- really two, two things to do with that. If, if, if you can't escape it, all right, um, really take everything off your boat. Get your sails off. Try to create as little windage as possible on your boat. Like your grill, like that grill I talked about, take that off the boat. It doesn't need to be on your boat. Nothing needs to be on the outside of your boat, okay? Um, the second thing I would do is... is if you're living on the boat or you're on the boat and you're at anchor, um, there's, you know, find some mangroves to tuck into, tie your boat off, give yourself a lot of leeway. You're going to swing a little bit. Um, you know, put out plenty of chain, you know, just, you know, get in, get in tight to some place and hang on. That'd be basically it. I've I've experienced hurricanes in a couple of different ways. I've been at sea when I've had hit by a hurricane, um, which personally I much prefer. I'd rather have open water with me and just sort of ride with the waves. You know, I'm not going in a particular... I can go in circles. I don't care. I'm just going to take the easiest... This is a problem with most people, is they, they get in their head that they want to do a course. Okay, when you're in a hurricane... Forget your course, because the last thing you want to do is sail towards land, okay? So just find a comfortable position with the waves, with the swell, with the wind, because the storm is going much faster than you are and will pass over you eventually. So just find the easiest way to do it. The second thing that another time I've done it is I tuck my boat into mangroves and anchors, put anchors out, tied off the trees, you know, tightened all the rest of that stuff. I had a lot of damage to my boat when I did that. Um, from debris, from trees, um, from bouncing off the bottom, etc., etc., etc. And another time, I sat at anchor on one hook in the middle of uh, in, the, in the middle of a bay, in about twenty feet of water, and but I sat there with the engine running. And um, I, I could see, I watched my position. I had everything open, um, and I watched my position the whole time. And um, I was actually quite lucky at that point because there was an island freighter that floated past me at a pretty high speed sideways and smashed into the dock and um, caught on fire. And Wow. Yeah, and it, and it, missed, it missed me by about 200 yards. Um, but I was the only boat out there, so that was uh, that was a it was an interesting experience. And the reason I say just on one hook is is that 
you you want to have the ability to maneuver and you don't want to spend a lot of if you foul your hook your chain and with two or three anchors out and i get why people will do that and that's a choice and i'm not knocking it but for me i just like having that one i can just like i said in the in the the uh, one story about nevis um when hurricane bertha came you can just release that anchor and drive away from it and come back and get it later and that way you can just you're just literally going to be trying to keep yourself in a stable position and keep moving it's you know it's hurricanes you have the movies and you have these giant waves that you see um but you know that's that's generally not what you're going to say you know you'll see 10 20 foot waves you'll see a lot of white caps you'll see a lot of ocean spray but your boat's going to your boat's going to handle them easily they're going to go up they're going to go down the the problem is is the crew and you can you handle it because the it, it can make you a little bit silly yeah yeah and you get you you go on work watch Right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I'm um, not, I am not probably the best advice for how to handle hurricanes. I've only been in five of them and I've always been sort of like, I don't want to be around people. I'd rather be out at sea. Um, I've, I've had a couple, you know, big tropical storms that were supposed to turn into hurricane and I just book South. You know, I was in the Caribbean at the time. I just book south, just go as fast as I go, you know. And then when it passed my wherever I was, I just turn around and sail back. Um, you know, it works. If you have a catamaran and you got that kind of speed, you can do that, and it's pretty cool. I had a friend that actually, he did that out of, um, where was it? He was in St. Kitts, actually. And he he took his boat and he went south and I didn't see him for like another year. And I said, what happened? He, <laughs> said, he said, well, we just kept going and, and I ended up in Bonaire, you know, which is a Dutch Island just off the coast of Colombia. <laughs> so wow. Like, wow. He said, I had so much fun there. He said, there's no reason to come back. So, all right. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's that's the great thing about having a boat is you can just go and stay as long as you want, mm-hmm. and then when you're ready to go, you go. Mm-hmm. So, well, anybody out there who's listening on the East Coast, you know, stay safe. Um, you know, I I hope you're all well uh, during this hurricane season. I know it can be it can be rough. So we're gonna be taking off for the next couple of weeks because it's August and it's time for vacation and it's time to relax and you know enjoy the summer what's left of it um and we'll be back after labor day um so what are you what are you going to be doing are you going to be going out sailing in the next couple of weeks yes i am i'm going to be sailing i'm going to be doing some um research and um it'll give me some time off i just finished um a bunch of other stuff um but uh, yeah, we're gonna take a. I'm gonna take a quick break, recharge the batteries, and then uh, we'll come back and make a run through Christmas. All right, everybody, have stay safe um, and enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you. Bye.